This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 95 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello, everyone. Jules Kramer. Hello, everyone. John Papa. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was a <laughs> robot cried. cried. A hey, Ward, cried. it started like Star Wars, yeah? <laughs> it did. I just heard a Wookiee. John, come back to us. Lucas Rubelke. Hello. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'll let John speak for me. <laughs> I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Uh, I just want to make a quick shout-out. If you're new to programming, I'm putting on a remote conference for new programmers called Newbie Remote Conf, and it'll be in the middle of July. So go check it out at newbieremoteconf.com. Uh, we also have a special guest this week, and that is Olivier Combe. I hope I said that Hello, right. guys. Yep, it was fine. Do you want to give us a brief introduction? Uh, sure. So, as you said, my name is Olivier Combe. Uh, I'm a French developer at a startup named Holymetrics, and I've been playing with Angular for the last four years. And now that uh, Angular 2 is almost ready, uh, I've been playing with it since uh, Alpha. And uh, one thing that I'm particularly fond of is uh, writing libraries. So for Angular 1, I was uh, focused on OCLazy load. And for Angular 2, I've started with uh, ng2-translate, which is uh, an implementation of uh, Angular 1, uh, Angular Translate from Pascal Prech. So what I'd like to share with you is uh, how to write libraries for Angular 2, which was the topic of my workshop at ngconf. And yeah, I guess that's it. Very cool. So to start off with, are there things that Angular 2 doesn't do that people want it to do that they might want libraries for? Yeah, I, so, I thought it was perfect and complete just the way it was. <laughs> Angular 2 is uh, a complete framework with a lot of uh, functionalities, but there are a lot of things that the developers don't want to spend time on or prefer to let the community have its way with developing these libraries. So, yeah, there are always a lot of things that you can write. And actually, I think it's the best uh, moment to start writing libraries for Angular 2 because... Um, it's still early, so a lot of things haven't been done. And if you have some ideas about uh, steps that you'd like to implement, you might still have a, 
a good chance to be one of the favorites for all the developers that are start starting using Angular 2. So can you give us some examples of some of the types of libraries people might write? I mean, I can imagine that there are probably some components that people are going to want to use or maybe some uh, services that people are going to want to use. If you're familiar with Angular 2, you can kind of see where those might hook in. Is that it, writing custom services or components or directives, or is there more to it than that? So you still have all of the classics, such as um, component libraries like uh, Bootstrap or, um, yeah, Mat Angular Material is, is taken by the Angular team, but um, uh, that kind of uh, libraries that do, that do a lot of uh, classic components that you can use in your web applications, such as models or tabs and stuff like that. And then you have um, uh, libraries that would be most specialized in Angular 2. We still haven't seen one focused on lazy loading to help you lazy load, except for what's included in the router. I'm sure that a lot of needs will emerge as uh, as more developers start to write uh, code in Angular 2. But um, yeah, you probably have uh, a few ideas about uh, stuff that you might need. So tell us a little bit about the library that you're writing for Angular 2. You said it was uh, uh, Angular Translate or NG2 Translate? Yes. So NG2 Translate, I started writing this library because um, I needed a project to learn Angular 2. So the best way for me to learn is to write something that is useful both to me and to, to other people. So I really like Angular Translate for Angular 1. So I asked Pascal if he wanted to maybe implement it in Angular 2. And he told me that he didn't have the time to do it. So I could start working on it. And um, what's nice about this library is that it, uses uh, services, pipes, and soon directives. So that was a good way to learn. So I tried to mimic the API from Angular Translate. And um, I added a few Angular 2 specifics, such as um, the new RxJS um, observables that we can use in Angular 2, uh, which I implemented in my pipe and in my service. And um, I did a, a few tests uh, to learn how to do tests and stuff like that. But uh, one thing I discovered quickly is that writing libraries for Angular 2, it's not really because of Angular 2, but more about because of TypeScript. It's uh, much more difficult than to write libraries for that it was for Angular 1 and that uh, it usually is if you write libraries for, if you write JavaScript libraries, um, because uh, when you write something in TypeScript, you have to take care of the typings and make sure that it works with uh, all the new bundlers such as Webpack, System.js, and stuff like that. And it was a lot of trial and error because what was working for one setup wasn't working for another. So I had help from the community who opened issues on, on the repo. And... I wanted to share what I learned while I was writing this library. So I wrote a blog article that uh, had a, a lot of retweets and, and likes on Medium. And then I thought I could do a workshop for ngconf to help people do that as well. I didn't think it was a, a good talk, uh, but as a workshop, it was it was interesting. That's why I proposed to talk about that at uh, ngconf. The workshop went well. I don't know if you've seen the workshop room that we had for Fair Day, but they were really, really huge. I didn't expect to have so many people. So it was more like a lecture than, than a workshop. But still, it turned out okay. When, when you say that TypeScript gave you fits, 
it sounded though when you expressed it that you were talking about how the package managers created trouble for you. So how much of the problem was TypeScript and how much of it was the package managers? When I started playing with Angular 2 and libraries, the TypeScript compiler was still uh, in version 1.6, I think. Uh, they added some features along the way um, that helped uh, for this kind of trouble. And um, uh, so, uh, someone also developed um, something called typings that you can use. But I think the problem was both TypeScript and Bundler, but mainly TypeScript because they didn't really do a good job on discovering typings yet. I think that's something they are really working <laughs> working on. But yeah, most of it was because of the typings. Uh, if I had just compiled the library to ES5 and then distributed it as it, it would have been uh, really simple to do. But mm -hmm. I wanted to help developers by uh, adding autocompletion and stuff like that. So uh, using TypeScript and giving the source uh, as source maps and adding the TypeScript definitions was one of the things that I wanted to do. That makes sense. I see where that intersection is. And do you feel that now that you have figured it out, is it going to be easier for other people to do, or is it always going to be a nightmare? It's starting to get easier with the last version of TypeScript. And also, I think that IDEs are starting to get smarter about those things, and so they can discover typings uh, more easily. But I have um, a setup that works, and I've made a, a list of steps that you have to make sure to use if you want to distribute a library like that. So if you follow these steps, it's pretty, pretty easy to do. You just have to make sure that some of the traps that you can fall into are not in your, in your setup, and then you're okay. And once, it, once the setup is good for you, uh, then you can write your library and it will, you don't have to worry about it anymore. So I, I have a quick question. So I'm curious, one of the things that people approach me and ask me a lot is, I have this idea, I'd like to work on this library, but how how have you found or have you found any, have any tips for having other collaborators work with you on a library or an idea that you've had? That seems to be a question I get a lot of, well, I want to work on this, but I'd really like to find other people and bring them in too. Yeah, it's a problem with uh, open source project nowadays. You have <laughs> you easily find people who post uh, issues, but finding someone to work with you can be hard. If you look at a project like Webpack, for example, the main developer is almost the only one uh, working on it, I think. Same goes with SystemJS. It's hard to find people, and most of all, it's hard to find people that you can trust with uh, with your library because it's kind of like a, a baby for you. Once you have invested a lot of time uh, in it, you don't want someone to come and mess up with your code. So I guess it's easier to find someone to work with you if you start at the beginning of your library. Find someone that shares the same interest for what you're looking to do and work with them to do a project that is both yours and their project as well. And then probably use um, some people. You, yeah, you should probably do that with someone that you trust in the beginning. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> now, you said at the beginning that you discussed it with Pascal. Why with Pascal again? I may have missed that. 
Angular Translate it was one of these projects, and uh, I didn't know to to start working right. on something for Angular too if if he wanted to do it. So, Jules, maybe this is an opportunity for for you and the Angular team to sort of become a clearinghouse of ideas. <laughs> Thanks for throwing that out there, Ward. I just knew you needed something to do. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Have, no, actually, it would be great, but you know, we it, it is hard to have get a handle and be the clearinghouse for things like that. Although we love to know about them and try to connect the dots where possible. I'm not sure we'd want everyone to look to us in terms of, of being a clearinghouse, but certainly look to us in terms of having a central place to find them and connecting people where we can who might be interested in the same things. Yeah, I really thought of it as more like that, not making judgments, but being a place where people could say, uh, I'm interested in doing this or I want to find that and how you could team up. I, I don't know. I, it's a hard thing. Yeah, Twitter so, might be a good place to find people who share the same interest. You can just start and say, I'm interested in working on this, and is someone else also interested? Maybe you can even try to find a project that already does that and try to join them by doing pull requests at first and then maybe become a collaborator. So Lucas was um, interesting in, in knowing what kind of shit notes I could give to help you write uh, libraries for Angular 2. So um, as part of my workshop, I wrote um, a repository on GitHub that you can find on github.com slash ocomb slash ng dash conf dash library. And I wrote all the steps that you need to do. Some of them are common to all projects that you want to share on NPM, but um, some of them are specific to Angular 2 or TypeScript. So I can give you a short rundown of these steps if you're interested. Yes, please. We'd love that. <laughs> okay. So the first step that you have to do is uh, init a project. You create a repository on GitHub and then you clone it on your desktop. And you need to add the dependencies. To do that, you can uh, take a look at the package.json from the Angular to repository and copy the dependencies. So you should add them as the dev dependencies first uh, because you want to you want to use them for your development and you might not need to add all of them as dependencies for other people. And then you have to add what your library really depends on. You add it as a peer dependencies or as dependencies, but Usually peer dependencies is a better idea because you don't force people to install multiple versions of uh, libraries if they already have one of them. And then you write your code uh, in TypeScript, such a, exactly as you would uh, you would do for for your own application. And um, then you have to add the TypeScript compiler and the typings uh, necessary to run your project. Once that's done, you can check if the compilation works okay with the TypeScript compiler. If that's okay, if not, you have to fix it, <laughs> obviously. But if that's okay, you can start writing the test. So, well, you can do a library with a test, but uh, usually it's a better idea to, to write some tests. And um, uh, you can find some some really good um, examples on Protector and Karma on the Angular.io website. And then the um, tricky part starts uh, because you have to make sure that uh, that you publish your library uh, in a way that can be consumed by other people. So um, a few important steps are first to create both a Git ignore and a npm ignore file. 
you copy most of it, most of the Git ignore into the npm ignore, and the only difference is that in Git ignore you don't want to publish the generated files because Git ignore is what is used when you push your code to GitHub. So you should remove the the GS and uh, the d.ts files, which are the TypeScript definitions that are generated by the TypeScript compiler. So you you ignore them in the git ignore, but in the npm ignore you want to do the opposite. You want to ignore the source files, uh, the TypeScript source files, but you don't want to ignore the TypeScript definitions and the compile GS files. And you might want to know why you want to ignore the source files in, uh, the, in the npm ignore file. Uh, the main reason is that often uh, tools like Webpack or SystemGS will search for the name of the file when you do an import, but you don't give the extension. And they might uh, use the source file instead of the uh, GS files. Sometimes it won't work with that setup, especially with uh, SystemGS, where if you don't have a TypeScript compiler, since it loads, it might load files at runtime, uh, you might have a problem. So just make sure that you don't push the source files. They're not needed for libraries uh, that you install via NPM. If you want to publish the source files, you might want to make sure that they are in a separated folder and not at the same path as your other libraries. And then you have to create at the root of your application, of your library, you want to create a main file. Uh, so you can either name it index.ts or with the name of your library. Uh, I prefer this one. And in this file, you will export everything from your source files. So if you have a service, for example, you will export star from uh, your, your service and use that for all of your source files so that people just have to load the main file from the root of your application of your library to have access to all of your imports. Uh, if you write a really uh, large library, you can maybe do multiple main files, uh, one by each part. That's what does Angular with, uh, for example, uh, one for the router, one for the core and stuff like that. But it's always a good idea to have one main file that exports everything. And it doesn't matter if you export everything because uh, people will just import the parts that they need. And then once uh, all of that is done, you can hook everything up in a pre-published script in your package.json that will do the test and the compilation, uh, maybe the compilation first, and then the test. And then this will be executed when, when you do npm publish. And if everything is okay, then you can publish on npm. There are a few other small steps, but that's the main parts that you need to know. Hang on, I'm still actually writing this all down. Um, so, <laughs> Ashley, could you could could you go back to the second point? Um, you lost me. Um, we we got to start over. The second point guys. was writing a service. So, yeah, oh, okay. all your I'm, codes. I'm, so. I'm totally kidding, but that was <laughs> very good. And also, Olivier or Olive, yay! Put the, uh, a link to this in the show notes with everything that he just said. So, I'm actually probably just going to print this out and put it in my pocket for. 
uh, <laughs> my finals uh, next week. So I, I passed the test. So what about design considerations, though, for dr- for writing a library? You know, what are you looking for when you construct the API? How do you expect somebody to load your library and you consume your library inside an Angular 2 app? You know, how do you make that easy? You know, when where are they are they supposed to load it as a set of services? How, how do you make it easy to to install and use your your library? So um, you have to take into account that people might not want to use Observable, for example. So it's good to offer multiple options for your services for or for yeah, mainly for the services. One thing that is, that is nice is to be able to configure your service at Bootstrap or in the provide in the provider's property of components. So you might want to uh, inject a few things in your service uh, that people can replace if they need. It's a, it's a good thing to do a separation of concerns here and and not do everything in one one function. Just make su- make sure that if people want to replace some parts, they can. So it's good to follow the the idea of um, each function is independent from each other. So, um, so, so make that yeah. concrete with respect to your translator. I assume you're reaching out to some service to do the translation. You're not doing it in JavaScript. So you must have some idea about how you're supposed to reach the service and how mm-hmm. they could configure something. You know, kind of, you know, how did that play in your thinking about how people should be able to use your library? So for ng to translate, the main idea is that you need to load your files with uh, translations. So I wrote a really simple loader that does that, that uses uh, HTTP from Angular 2 to load JSON files and then uh, use the, those uh, as translation. But uh, if for some reason you don't want to load them as files and you want to inject them yourself, if you have, for example, an object with uh, keys of uh, with keys and, and translations, uh, you can do that as well and just replace the static loader with your own loader or just pass the translations directly to the service as a new language. And for example, for Angular 2 Universal, which happens on the server side, I replaced this static loader with a loader that uses uh, FS from Node to load translation. So um, if you think that you, well, it depends on what you're writing, but if you write something that that is pretty straightforward and that you don't think could have other ways to do stuff, then you should probably use that. But if, like it is for Angular Translate, people might want to use it in different ways, then make sure that you know, they can replace those or, or at Bootstrap use another, um, another function of their creation to do some of the parts of your library. For example, when people open an, an issue uh, wanting to load files not as JSON, but as um, regular uh, translation files. I don't remember the extension, but uh, those are just lines with keys and, and values. So I let him uh, know that he could use uh, write his own loader. And I added an example to the documentation so that he could do it. And this way, he was able to make his own, um, his own loader for loading those files. And then you might want to take into account also uh, the different ways to use your library. And for example, for me, it was obvious that uh, translation should use a pipe and that you should put those in, in your um, 
in your templates with the name of the key and then the pipe will uh, search into the translation to get the value. But then someone was, was saying that maybe he wanted to use a directive instead of a pipe. You want to make sure that you don't close your options and that uh, people can, if they want to write some parts themselves or if they want to make a pull request to add some functionalities, make sure that it's easy to do. Uh, type everything uh, at test that people can read to understand your code. Write a good documentation. That's really important for a library. If you want it to be successful, the documentation should take a good part of your time. Writing the code is usually maybe half the time that you spend on, on uh, writing a library, I think. Well, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. <laughs> Did you do it in a readme? Did you do it in a wiki? Uh, and what's your approach? If the library is small enough, uh, a readme with good parts, uh, with sections that you can reach easily or distinguish from one another uh, is enough, I think. For OCLazy Load for Angular 1, I used um, a website named readme.io where you can you have a, we- a dedicated website uh, which is free for open source project and you can add a lot of a lot of more features uh, such as different pages uh, examples that you can run and stuff like that but so yeah. Yeah, sorry and i'm listening to this i'm really fascinated by all the kinds of things that you have to think about when you create these libraries but also diverted a little i'm thinking about angular translate and how popular that was in angular 1 and that's a pretty big undertaking that you're kind of diving into by saying you're going to create ng2 translate. <laughs> uh, so that's a lot of work, right? Yeah. Uh, is this something that is this something you're getting help with? Is, is Pascal still pitching in or has he handed the reins off completely to you or kind of where's that heading? So I chose this library because I knew that Angular was uh, working on IATN and that in the end, my library would probably be obsolete. So it was a good project to learn Angular 2, but one that I wouldn't have to maintain for a long time. Is uh, that true? I'm, yeah. I'm curious. Is that true? Jules, are you are you there? Is that something that the Angular team is going to create, or are they going to lean on a community for IETN? Actually, Kara Erickson already added some commits to the core of Angular. Yeah, I was just going to say Kara's working on it, but as with everything, we welcome the community to support us. Awesome. So maybe these two could kind of merge together and, and move forward, but uh, I think that's the, awesome. The idea that Angular is going to implement would be far more advanced than what, I'm, that's what I did with ng2 Translate. Um, they want to add uh, tools to extract your keys from your application. Uh, automatically and tools to help you share the translation with maybe some people that are specialized in that and stuff like that. So um, a few more things and what that's what I'm doing right now. But as there is no documentation on IATN for the moment, <laughs> I find myself uh, having to maintain ng2 translate. So ah. and you um, said you also did the you did the workshop there in the in the fair day yep. at ngconf. Uh, I'm curious, when people would take that, what kind of ideas were they coming up to you with for libraries they're creating? Like, what kind of cool things are other people doing? I don't know. <laughs> uh, they didn't really tell me about that. Like I said, it was a really huge room for a workshop. I don't have the exact number, but I think there were more than 200 people in the room. So when you're alone doing a workshop with so many people, it's hard to have time to 
talk with them. Uh, some of them came at the end asking questions. I think a few of them were working on libraries that would be private, that they would use internally in the company. And they can use uh, NPM privately for that. Do you find that you give different advice to people based upon whether they're doing a public reusable library versus something that's private? Well, obviously, if you do something private, uh, you have a much better idea of how it should go. Uh, I hope that you have at least that you, you don't have to implement features that you don't use, but that could be useful to other people. Uh, probably you will spend less time on documentation. Uh, maybe comments could be enough for, for your team. Even if some documentation is always good, <laughs> we probably all know that we don't have much time to work on that stuff. So yeah, writing libraries in, internally is different. But uh, the steps that I explained during my workshop were the same, even if it's private in the end. So I hope that people found them useful. So when, you, when people are asking you and you're doing your workshop, though, about uh, creating libraries, though, what what's the main thing you try to give them? Like, is there some main message you're trying to share with people about your experiences with writing a library? Like, what did you get out of it? The, the main idea, I think, is was to show them that it was simple and that they should do it and not fear that maybe uh, they would be overwhelmed. I think it's the same problem with Angular 2 and the toolings uh, around it right now. It might be a bit too much for people to set up a project with the builders and uh, the toolings that they need to, to set up before they can even code. But in the end, if you... If you know all the steps that you have to take, this is not the important part. And in writing a library, um, all the tips that I give really stuff that they shouldn't have to worry about in an ideal world. But once they they just have to make sure that all, all the steps are completed, and then they can start focusing on on the important part of the library, which is the code and documentation and stuff like that. So I hope that people came out of this workshop with the idea that it was easy to do, which is <laughs> kind of um, uh, weird saying like that because the main point of the workshop was to give them stuff that might be hard for them. But uh, Sure, yeah. yeah. So as, as you attended NGConf, and kind of just changing topics quickly here, uh, you were at NGConf all last week. Was this the first NGConf that you had been to? <laughs> yeah. Last year I wanted to come, but I was too late to buy the tickets. Ah. Um, so what did you think? Me, I mean, being yeah. your first experience this year with it, uh, what impressed you about the conference, either good or bad? Um, I've been to a lot of conferences in the last two years. I've spoken at some of them as well. And as, I think the main difference with NGConf is the scale. It's really huge. A lot of people, a lot of people are working on the organization as well. It was uh, three days or four if you did the, the workshops on the first day, when most of the conferences are one or two days. So, yeah, the scale was really huge, and I was impressed by how flawless the organization went during this event. How everything seemed to be, I don't know, happening without even uh, seeing, I don't know, uh, no problem or stuff like that. I haven't had the impression that anything went wrong during this conference. And that's really brilliant when you think about it because of how many things they had to deal with. And the fair day, which was a new thing that I have never seen anywhere else, 
I was impressed. And the quality of the talk as well was really nice. So thanks to the to Sunny and the organizers, because they are who keeps it flawless from you guys knowing if there was any problems. So I'm not going to own here if there were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prob- probably, but if it's well done, you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so huge shout out to Sunny and her team because like I said on stage in the on the last one, they did an enormous amount of work and it's it's not as easy as it looks like to get a conference that size running so flawlessly. So thank you for noticing. <laughs> so I'm going to pull it back to the Angular, Angular 2 libraries discussion for a minute because I do have another question and that is, you know, you have people using things like Webpack or JSPM or System.js, you know, and you have the import statements that we see in Angular so what do you actually have to do other than have it export classes to make it work with those systems like Webpack and others? I guess the example is is that you see these systems essentially export an entire, you know, they build it into one file and minify it and all that stuff. And so if it's in a separate library, do you just tell your people to copy it in and use it that way? Or is there another is there another method for getting your libraries into my system that I'm building on the front end of my website. So uh, one thing that Angular 2 did at the beginning, and I think they are starting to remove this part, was bundling parts of your library so that you could load them as script tag. But I think they are coming back on this idea and rather like to have all the files uh, separate as separated modules so that you, you have to use a bundler, but then you can uh, really... Only load the parts that you need. That's one of the things that they focused on for uh, the release candidate. So one way would be to bundle, as I said, but I don't think it's a good idea. The other way is to have separate files uh, that you have to compile to ES5, and you have to compile them in a way that module loaders can understand. There are a lot of uh, different implementations of modules that have been developed in the last years, you have um, UMD, IMD, uh, CommonJS, SystemJS, which are all a different implementation of uh, the module spec. Uh, yeah, one thing we don't yeah. lack for in this JavaScript space is having many, many options. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and if you want to make sure that uh, your library works with everything, uh, my advice is to use CommonJS for now, which is... Um, Maybe not the most optimum type of module, but it works with all the current bundler. The TypeScript compiler can compile to module to CommonJS, so that's a good point, I think. So you don't have to use uh, one more step in your compilation. Actually, we switched to CommonJS across the board among our samples and in the CLI, so mm. uh, all of our applications now use CommonJS. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but that's what we do. <laughs> And we should clarify, Ward, that we use CommonJS as the standard, but we use SystemJS to load them. That's right correct. Right. But SystemJS, uh, so let's, let's properly distinguish that. We're t- I, I think what we're talking about is the format of the modules that we're asking TypeScript to construct when it transpiles. And you have a lot of choices, and that's one of the things in the TS config, and one of those choices is CommonJS. And I think... Olivier, that's what you're talking about, is picking that format yes. for it to generate, completely apart from what loader is going to come along and try and load that module. Yes. Uh, and then John's point is that it may be in common JS format, but System.js and Webpack are both happy to load it. 
Yep. So um, the command bundler try to understand multiple modules, a type of modules. Uh, if you take uh, Rollup, for example, I think they only support uh, two types, which are ES6 modules, and I don't know which one is the other one. But if you want to use Rollup, you will have to have an intermediate state uh, where you change uh, most of the stuff to ES6. Yeah. Yeah, the the template compiler has to, I think, generate TypeScript files that are in ES6 format. So yeah, there's all this translation going on, and that's the nasty stuff that just seems to have nothing at all to do with your grand purpose to help people translate. Yes, exactly. Uh, like I said, I found this whole ecosystem of modules and bundler and compilation, uh, pre-compilation and stuff like that, uh, really useful, but it's a lot to take in when you start. I really hope that it will get easier. And that's why that's what the CLI is for, right? To help people start without having to maybe think too much about all of that stuff that goes around. And that's not the main points that you want to do when you want to write Angular 2 code. Anything else we should dig into before we go to picks? Well, I just want to know, now that you've done it, would you ever do it again? <laughs> what, as a workshop? Or? No, no, no. The Create library? one of these darn libraries. I mean, you haven't even mentioned the best part, which is the daily sifting through issue after issue <laughs> after issue, yeah. which John knows oh so well, and I can't figure out why John keeps subjecting himself <laughs> to putting out these repos. Because Maybe. I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I need to come in and uh, complain that it doesn't work with my specialized grunt setup that only I understand. Right. Well, that, that's that's what Olivier didn't say at all, right, is is the, the big question is if you put something out there, you inevitably will have people who use it and a few people, not a lot, but a few people will then comment and complain about why it doesn't work on a Tuesday in a full moon. So you just have to smile and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's semi in the wrong place, John. Yeah, you can like, use. Why doesn't um, Light Server run on IIS? <laughs> <laughs> why doesn't Angular run on React? <laughs> why after updating uh, on the breaking change, uh, my code doesn't work anymore? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. what's wrong with you? Come R on, man! <laughs> RC two came out five <laughs> seconds ago, and now it's broken. You ruined my life. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's wonderful being part of it but it does come with this other side and that's what we all all of us who have outsource, uh, you know open source projects like to get together in private and whisper to each other all of the things that we uh, <laughs> we feel about really feel about our users but we really love you out there we wouldn't be here without you we do it all for you grumble 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 we do because for every one grumble there's thousands of people who enjoy it and quite frankly writing open source is it's really a pleasure and it's a joy so uh, it's a lot of fun to do yeah, and that's why I, I I gave the advice to work on your documentation a lot because you will uh, have a lot less issues that are that have nothing to do with bugs. That's, that's a question. great point. If, if somebody yeah. asks me a question in open source uh, more than once, I immediately put it in the readme yeah. because if it's going to be something I get more than one question on, then obviously I didn't do a great job communicating it. So put it in the readme, get it out there. Uh, it's a learning lesson. Don't blame thirty people for having the same question. <laughs> RTFM, baby. Yeah, and you spend a lot less time uh, writing the documentation in the end than 
answering to issues and stuff like that. I actually learned that tip from uh, Scott Hanselman, a a friend of mine, years ago told me. He said, you know, you're wasting a lot of time answering the same email over and over and over again, John. Instead, if somebody sends you the same question twice, blog it or put it up in open source. Uh, That way they can find it through Google. Yep. (laughs) So the original question was, why do I do that? Well, um, I was pretty sure that this library uh, was a short li- short lived because of the implementation of IATM. So this was uh, a choice uh, that I made to make sure that I wouldn't have to support this one for a long time. I wouldn't be too sure. <laughs> but then, yeah. For, for one, I mean, I don't know what the, the Angular definition of IATN is going to be. It could have this kind of translation part, but it could, or it could be focusing on on other aspects of internationalization. So, or you could just do it better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in this case, you're was, on the hook. I was thinking that if they don't feel all the needs that we can have, then I'm gonna switch and just do the library on those parts and use the original implementation for the technical, probably more advanced stuff. So, yeah, it might be a library that I will have to support for a while. But in this case, it's one that I use. So it's a good way to make sure that all the features that I need are available. (laughs) If you ever write a library, write something that you will use. Otherwise, you might lose the, the motivation to maintain and to fix some of the edge cases and stuff like that. All right. Well, I'm going to push us into picks. Jules, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. So my pick this week, as you guys might know, my son is 18 and going off to college. And he got into a computer science program at Cal State, Cal Poly, actually. And one of the things they do when you join an impacted computer science program is they try to level out the kids so he has a bunch of math tests that he has to take. And he came to me on Saturday and said, Mom, you're going to have to teach me calculus. And I went, oh, my gosh, I don't even remember calculus. Like, (laughs) how am I going to do this? So my pick today is actually Khan Academy because while I actually knew about them before, I've spent all week doing free classes on pre-calculus and calculus and computer things that I had just completely forgotten about that we don't use in our everyday life. And it was all free. And I think it's an amazing resource for education. You know, derivatives and directives sound the same. You know, it's so funny because I actually said that in my head yesterday when I was banging my head trying to remember things I haven't thought about in 20 years. And I thought, oh, Angular 2 is so much easier than this. (laughs) Nice. Oh, and you get to interpolate in calculus, too. <laughs> you you <Yeah>. do. <laughs> Look right. how much you guys remember. <laughs> That's it. You've just exhausted it. That's like my being able to say I speak <laughs> Spanish because I can say adios. <laughs> yeah, the rest of it dribbled out my other ear. Uh, Ward, what are your picks? Oh, goodness. Can I pick <laughs> an Irish whiskey that I just got? Sure, oh, go for God, it. it. It takes me back to Ireland, the West Coast. Oh, yes, now I'm going to wax on here about uh, the West Coast of Ireland in Katamara. And a good friend of mine and fellow author came over from Ireland, and he gave me the Redbreast Irish Whiskey, and it's so good. So I recommend that you go out there and try and find it. It's, uh, it's definitely a cut above the rod gut that I'm used to drinking. If you want to drink your whiskey in Salt Lake, make sure that you have your ID with you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sure that happened. And I, oh, I, I was sitting so with Shai Resnick. He didn't have his passport, but he had like a driver's license. And they won't take a driver's license if it's foreign. You have to have your passport with you. 
I can't wait to be carded. <laughs> yeah, saying war. When's the last time that happened for you? Oh, <laughs> I I think I had to go when the first know. Star Wars came out. Came out. <laughs> oh, our first oh, Star Wars reference. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. I'm pretty sure that I was of drinking age even then. <laughs> or at least I was drinking even then. Okay, enough of that. To be fair, I don't think I've been carded in a long time either. So uh, they, they always give me the look, and then I'm like, uh, I'm not drinking. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't mind being carded once in a while. <laughs> so, Pix, recently, actually just yesterday, I was uh, working on migrating my blog off of some other platforms over to a faster node platform. And I looked at Ghost, did a lot of research and evaluation, and moved over to actually a hosted model for Ghost. And I'm actually paying for it. And the reason I'm paying for it, even though I had a free platform before, uh, is not because I can't manage my own blog, but I looked at this as I'm paying 40 bucks a month. And now if anything goes wrong or any server patch or any upgrade patch or anything else happens, I don't have to touch it. Somebody else is handling it for me. I just want to write content and have it go off on a server and exist. Uh, so for me, the $40 a month was more than worth not having to worry about this because when my blog went down in the past 12 years, which didn't happen a lot, but if it did, that was like a time sink. So I know there's other platforms people can use. Uh, what I liked about Ghost is Wicked Fast, and there's a lot of great themes up there. And I actually, for my second pick, uh, not just am I using Ghost Pro, but I'm also using Cloudflare to front-end it with DNS, and that's been great uh, because I'm looking at all the content that I get, and it caches the requests. It'll help me enforce SSL. Uh, it's just doing a lot of great stuff, and it's actually helping deny some threats that are out there. And I want to give a quick shout-out to both Troy Hunt, who did his blog with it and put up a nice little custom theme, and to Shane Boyer, the former guest on our show, uh, who put his blog over to Ghost as well for kind of giving me some tips and kind of blazing that trail. So Cloudflare and Ghost.io are my two picks. Awesome. Lucas, what are your picks? So I have two picks. Uh, my first pick is I have, over the last couple of years, fallen in love with uh, rowing. And it's a pretty incredible, I think, activity. It really works out pretty much all your major muscle groups. And I recently uh, just bought a Concept2 rower, a PM5. And it's been pretty awesome. My buddy, uh, Shane Melke, who is a pretty phenomenal designer him and i he basically you can drop your usb right into the back and it'll just put uh like your workout on there and so he carries his usb around and does that and so we're kind of geeking out on some possible visualizations on rowing data and so uh concept two rower pretty awesome and my second pick is i think obviously with ng-conf behind us i want to just give a big shout out to all the organizers for making it just such a welcoming and friendly place. I brought my wife and kids and they felt right at home with, you know, the kids care and the activities and all the attendees were, were super nice. Um, actually, Ian, my boy, got a, a lightsaber from uh, John and uh, he talked about it the entire time. So thanks for uh, the sword, John. He uh, broke a light with that, but uh, we forgive you. <laughs> Hug. So those are my picks. Oh, very nice. I'm going to go and th go ahead and throw out a pick real quick. I've been transferring a lot of the process that I have for the podcast over to Trello. And so I'm going to pick Trello. Also, I have forms up on the website. If you go to adventuresinangular.com, there's a link. There are actually two links there. One's for guest recommendations. The other's for topic recommendations. And uh, those actually automatically go into Trello, which is kind of nice. I'm using Gravity Forms and Zapier to do that. And so I'm going to pick those as well. 
uh, just as kind of a process to get there. And then the Trello board is basically going to track the episode all the way from when it gets scheduled all the way up until until it gets released and we reach out to the guests and let them know that it's done and things like that. So I'm working on that whole process and Trello has been excellent for that. So that is my pick. Uh, Olivier, what are your picks? So my pick is Angular 2 Library Seed, which is a GitHub repo by Nathan Walker. It's actually everything that I've talked about, but more advanced with a lot of cool stuff that you don't have to worry because it's a seed that you can use to write libraries. So uh, it uses Webpack and then you have um, end-to-end code as well uh, with Protector, which I didn't talk about. You have documentation with TypeDoc, error linting with TSLint, and everything is builded with uh, Webpack. So a lot of stuff uh, and a, a really good seed if you want to write a library. I'm going to give you the link. So if you want to do something simple, maybe you don't need this, but if you want to write a good library, a huge library, and this is really useful. Do I take it, Olivier, that you are a Webpack fan rather than a System.js fan? <laughs> yes. How fight, do you fight, know? Fight, fight. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I just, I think, you know, we so often on our show, we talk about System.js and as if Webpack didn't or hardly existed. And uh, it's very clear that it's a favorite of many, many people, including uh, our guests. Um, originally, I didn't like Webpack. It was way too complicated for me. But if you have the time to start learning how it works, then it becomes really, really powerful and awesome. So um, I'm torn between their poor documentation and their hard setup and the awesome functionalities that it offers. I wish they had a better (laughs) website with good documentation. It would help a lot of people start using Webpack. Well, I know who did the documentation for Angular 2, so maybe they can talk. Yeah, (laughs) that would be nice. The guy who develops uh, Webpack is all alone doing it, and... We we can't bl- can't blame him for not having more time to work on the project. It, he's not paid to do it, so that doesn't stop us from blaming him. We blame all <laughs> open source development. Well, you you can blame him, but he doesn't have to care. All right. Well, if people want to uh, find out what you're doing or you know follow up with you, follow you on Twitter, any of that, what do they do, Olivier? Well, if you type my name in Google, you can find me. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Ocombe, O-C-O-N-B-E. You can find me on GitHub with the same handle. So, Awesome. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this show up, and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 